Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fluid Fan Podcast, brought to you by Sports Innovation Lab. I am your host, Angela Ruggiero, a four-time Olympian myself in the sport of ice hockey, and the current CEO and co-founder of Sports Innovation Lab. I founded this company with Josh Walker to really help the sports industry make better data-driven decisions. We're, at our heart, a market research company helping our clients create breakthrough fan experiences through technology. That's what we do. That's why we're here. And we're not only looking into the future and how technology can change sports, but we're also studying it the here and now. And, you know, the here and now, during the time of COVID, everything is changing. So I'm really proud of what my company has been able to do over the last four years, helping our clients, helping the industry better understand technology trends, innovation, change at the heart of it. And again, that is all accelerated because of COVID. If you're interested in joining our community, we've got a Slack channel for anyone that wants to, to see and talk to other professionals. Go on our website. We have a host of, of data tools. We do webinars, Ask Me Anything. We have this podcast here. Um, and we're really trying to just create resources for, for the industry at large, but specifically for our clients that really are leaning forward right now during the time of COVID and, and trying to understand the evolving nature of sports tech and the sports industry at large, which again is all powered by technology. So that's what you get here at the Fluid Fan Podcast. We are talking to industry leaders that are doing things differently, that, that maybe sit within a technology company and are pushing the boundaries, pushing sport for that matter, to adopt new ways to connect to their fans, new ways to service and engage new ways to do things that again keep sports relevant and and do things differently now that you may not be able to actually go to a stadium that's a big thing we'll talk about um you know the, the ability to broadcast the ability to connect through digital and social and other ways again the majority of sports fans are not in the venue and um and you know covid is i think shining a light on the fact that we need to have amazing ways to connect to fans, to keep them engaged, um, and to uh, service them at the end of the day. So when we're ready to come back, uh, they're excited. They've, 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 they love your brand even more versus taking a big step back. Um, who knows how long we'll be in this situation. So there's someone here that sits within a platform that you all know well, Facebook. Uh, you can't get away from it. It's been around since 2004. Actually, I was... Um, I actually went to school with the founder, Mark Zuckerberg, and at the time it was called The Facebook. It was a dating app. I thought it was dumb. I, I had no interest. Little did I know my friends that went on to join him are pretty much set for life. I should have listened uh, to them. But I'm really excited to have today the Director of Sports Partnerships at Facebook, Peter Hutton. Peter has an extensive background in the media industry, and again, he is sitting on a technology that has so much potential in sports and the whole industry is very curious with, with the amount of capital at Facebook's disposal. They're curious to know what they're going to do. So you're, we're literally going to interview today uh, the leader of that strategy. Um, before getting to Facebook, however, he spent time at Fox, ESPN, um, and won numerous awards as the CEO of Eurosport. And I got to know Eurosport fairly well when they again, signed up to be an official partner with the uh, International Olympic Committee broadcasting Olympic rights in Europe. 
So Peter's bringing his global perspective to Facebook as the company really begins to explore uh, and make a stronger push into live sports. You know, again, they're nipping at it. They're, they're trying it out. I think a lot of the, the big bang companies we say are, are attempting to um, dip their toe in the water and, and everyone is paying close attention again for the distribution, for the functionality of these platforms and ultimately for the dollars that we think could flow in, but to be determined. So here at Sports Innovation Lab, we know that Fluid fans consume their content on the go. Fluid fans also want immersive experiences. They want experiences that are social, accessible, and interactive. That is the definition of immersive. In their applications, they don't just want to sit back. Yes, absolutely fans. Sometimes they want the 4K or the 8K that's coming and they want that big screen and that amazing experience of just sitting passively, maybe with a beer in their hand with their buddies and watching. I certainly love to do that. Um, but I am absolutely moving and trending in the direction of a lot of Fluid fans, which is that they want to actually have agency. And there isn't a, a better company, again, suited just by sheer volume uh, to lean into these ideals of pushing towards a more digital solution that allows athletes to have a voice, that allows fans to have agency in the content, to create it, to create, you know, again, watch parties, create all these immersive experiences that we see here at Sports Innovation Lab is the future of sport. So there are a lot of platforms out there that are obviously enhancing that viewing experience, a lot of platforms that are trying to capture the attention of the fan outside of, again, going to the venue. And the sports industry is leaning heavily on these, on these platforms. They're still trying to understand these platforms. But at the end of the day, there are the few go-to you know, proven solutions that, again, if, if Facebook, along with a lot of these larger platforms, think Amazon, are leaning in, I'm really excited for the future of fandom, for fluid fans, and for the ability of the sports industry to actually capture attention of the fan. Again, we are not competing with one another. I can't stress this enough. We're competing for attention. We are in the attention economy. So I'm super excited to have this conversation with the Director of Sports Partnerships at Facebook, my dear friend, Peter Hutton. I am incredibly excited to have uh, someone that a lot of people are dying to have the ear of dying to get a conversation with. We're gonna spend some time with Peter Hutton, the Director of Sports Partnerships at Facebook. He's someone that uh, I'm sure you'll all love to hear from given his deep background. So I'm gonna start there, Peter. First, thanks for being on the show. You have such an amazing background. I wanna, I wanna dive into how you got to Facebook. So welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Angela. And um, the danger of a question like that is you could end up with like a 30-minute answer. In that <laughs> well, I'm so old, but I've done all sorts of things. Yeah, so I mean, again, you've done so many things from working at Fox as the SVP of sports, moved over to ESPN, uh, managing director there, MPN Silver. I, I mean, we'll get into that. That's a really interesting international sports agency that you know I'm sure our listeners are familiar with. Before CEO of Eurosport, and then moving on to Facebook, a phenomenal background, obviously. But walk us through why you got into sports, what you've seen over the course of your career, and why you're, why you're so passionate to stay in it. I think uh, it's a really simple answer in many ways, in that I just grew up an obsessed sports fan. You know, my dad's an obsessed sports fan. My granddad was an obsessed sports fan. You know, my earliest memories have been dragged around soccer and cricket grounds in the UK. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I watched an incredible amount of sport as a kid. And then I had this, this remarkable breakthrough where, you know, a lot of people talk about all their career plans and how it was all strategic. Mine was, you know, just luck in many ways in that my school, when I was 16, said, we can get you two weeks work experience somewhere. Where do you want to go? And we'll try and get through the door. And I asked for my local radio station. And um, so Radio Leeds in the north of England um, went in there, you know, made tea, ran around, sort of tried to make myself helpful. At the end of the two weeks, the guy who ran the sports operation said, do you fancy reporting on a game? You know, not an important game, local cricket match with like, you know, 10 people watching, but pure local radio content. So I did it. And, and he said at the end, OK, do you want to keep doing it every week? And that just turned into a way of life in that I ended up reporting on local radio on Saturdays and Sundays. And then more and more during the weeks or while I was at school and at university. And uh, most of my university life was spent in a car driving up to football fixtures around the country. And then never stopped, you know, was uh, went to become a, a radio sports editor straight out of university, went to TV about a year later. Satellite TV opened up in the UK and a year after that I became one of the first presenter reporters on Sky and it just kept going um, and then it took me around the world and, and I ended up here in, uh, in California with Facebook. You got a taste of it early on, obviously you grew up as a fan, uh, I'm sure you're, you're continuing to be a fan within the space. Tell me though the direction of rights and why again you've spent so much time obviously understanding the ecosystem around sports and the business side of sports. I'm curious to know your transition then from, uh, you know, being under the, the camera or the voice to the business side. What's, again, what's been the propelling internal motivator there? I look at, again, I'd love to say it was like a really deep thought out personal motivation, but purely look really in that I went to India uh, in 94 and it was a classic sort of maybe a bit of a gamble career-wise in that uh, I got offered the chance by IMG to go and produce three months of cricket in India. And I thought, never really been to India. Um, I didn't admittedly tell them that. Went to India and went at completely the right time. You know, satellite TV exploded. And while I was there, we won the contract to produce a whole load of stuff. And I got IMG to sort of um, do what they don't always do best, which is invest. Um, and they bought equipment. So we had the first genuinely private OB truck in India. And I ended up directing Bollywood music events and all sorts of stuff that I really wasn't qualified for and ended up running a, a big operation, you know, and there was like, you know, 100, 150 people there within a few years. And it became a, a, a great success story, again, largely due to being there at the right time, a sort of private enterprise and satellite TV took off in India and ended up running a business. And um, as a result of that, I ended up having to buy and sell and do deals and get involved in contracts and stuff like that, which genuinely, you know, 10 years of being a sports journalist had not prepared me for, but somebody had to do it and, and I was there. Um, so that sort of changed the direction of my career, if you like. And then 2002, got a call from an old friend who was at ESPN, Chris McDonald, um, who finally, after about five conversations, allowed himself to say that he was starting a sports channel aimed largely at India, but would go into other territories and based out of Dubai. Um, and did I want to come and, and run the content side for him there? Um, which having just promised my wife's family that I was staying in India forever and that don't worry, I'm never going to take your daughter away, um, was an interesting twist. But then we moved to Dubai sort of a few months later, set up this sports channel. And Chris, you know, very clearly spelled out the goal. He said, look, we're going to build up the business. 
you know, seven, eight years time, people will want this business, we'll sell it, we'll move on. And unbelievably, it worked exactly to, to what Chris had said. And, you know, went through sort of some incredible times there. You know, we gambled heavily on India playing cricket in Pakistan, which seemed impossible. You know, the two countries were effectively at war. But it happened, you know, and we ended up with like this incredible story behind the channel. We gambled heavily on WWE, you know, in that both Chris and I knew how popular it was in India, but how sports channels were almost embarrassed about it and would schedule it at midnight and then the next episode at seven in the morning. And we sort of gave it a proper time thread. And because of that, became the most popular sports channel in the Indian subcontinent within a couple of years. And it worked well. So that changed the direction of what I did. And then, you know, 2010, we sold the channel. And I thought, that's it, I'll retire. And um, that retirement's not gone so well um, in that I keep taking jobs and keep going different places and doing other things. But, you know, I changed direction really because I had to and somebody had to do the paperwork and, and it sort of fell on me. So you went from India, then I know Fox Sports in Asia. So you spent obviously a, a, pair, a fair amount of time in Asia. Your work with Eurosport as the CEO there in Europe. You've obviously seen the globe. Now you're in California. You're in, you know, I'm very jealous, by the way, the weather. And, <laughs> uh, I'm here in Boston, a little bit colder. Um, but you've seen the world. You've seen the sports industry. I'm curious about your point of being at the right place at the right time with regards to satellite TV. And we're seeing obviously a, a massive shift in the direction of OTT, in the direction of digital and social. I mean, it's all about, that's what this podcast is all about, the fluid fan and, and how they're changing and evolving. What experience are you bringing now at Facebook from your career? Because your career obviously is very rich relative to, I mean, almost anyone out there in terms of geography, in terms of the, the types of exposure you've seen across sports and across platforms. So what's Again, I'm, the, what I'm trying to pull out is what, what lessons are you bringing now that you're in at the helm of Facebook from all of this geographical difference and technology evolution? It, it's a really interesting question. I, I can tell you what I'd like to think that I'm bringing. I'm not quite sure it always worked. Um, but certainly, you know, because I've helped set up Fox in Africa and, and worked with Fox in Latin America, I've touched almost every continent. So yeah. the first thing I bring is that an allergic reaction to something, which is, the, the regular sort of uh, tendency which I'll see in the US, which is a press release comes out and it's portrayed as if it's the story of world sport. And actually it's the story of American sport. And the diversity in that story is very clear, you know, in that cable cutting here is clearly a phenomenon that really deeply affects the industry. That's mm -hmm. not true everywhere. You know, it, it is growing in many parts of the world, but the story is clearly patchy. Fandom is different in different markets. You know, a lot of fandom is local and tribal and one sport focused. You know, here in the U.S., despite the dominance of the NFL, you have so many successful sports ecosystems. That's not necessarily true um, in every market. So I think that what I try to bring to it is the idea that there's, it's very dangerous and difficult to say one rule fits the whole world of sport. But then at the same time, Facebook's about scale and about to say, okay, what can we do that can help sports industry worldwide? So we try and find tools, try and find practices where you can genuinely spread knowledge and help grow the sport in each market in, in the different ecosystem that that sport exists in. Yeah, no, I think you, that's a really great answer. I, um, I think that sounding, you know, that, that, that voice of sense, if you will, I, I remember spending so many years, I was on the IOC for eight years and still involved in international sport and 
yeah, we all tend to go back into our bubbles and, the, you know, you know, read things within our own ecosystems. But, you know, I think that you're spot on having that experience at the ground level, knowing how different ecosystems, sports ecosystems work um, is probably really valuable at a time, especially with your, what, 2.6 billion active users, I think was the last the uh, uh, last update. That is a global platform, if I've ever seen one. Um, so I mean, it, it, it's remarkable, really. You know, and and when you see the numbers, sometimes it can be really daunting. You know, because you know I've dealt with small businesses, dealt with big businesses, and and you focus on the sort of audience numbers so deeply, and then you look at the numbers that Facebook deliver and Instagram delivers, and WhatsApp and Messenger delivers, and and hopefully in the future Oculus and Portal will deliver. And, you know, the numbers are simply remarkable. But at the same time, it's all about small interactions and small activities. And I think, you know, if Facebook has a role for the sports industry, which I clearly believe it does, it's about trying to create tools that allow the sports industry to talk to their current and their future fans in an effective way. And hopefully in a way that not just develops that fandom, but also builds businesses that are sustainable for the sports industry as well. So we have to look at that scale and then say, okay, let's drill down, let's make that effective, let's see where that can genuinely add value back. And, and in many ways, um, I think the role in, in Facebook, and there are you know, only 40 of us or so sort of dedicated to sport in Facebook, it's a tiny number in this enormous company. Our role is often as translators between um, the sports industry and the, and the Facebook ecosystem and to try and find solutions that match, try and find things that genuinely help. And, you know, I, I guess when you say, look, what is your job really? I think it's sort of, sort of that. In yeah. that. It's almost like a consultant, but consultant not just to the sports industry, but also to Facebook. Yeah, uh, Peter, do you want a job? Because that's literally what we feel like we have to do for the industry, having my co-founder Josh Walker's expertise again in the technology side, where we're translating and over half our clients are tech companies trying to translate their technology, fitting it to the sports industry. Again, the buy side, it's, you know, sitting in the middle of that's really interesting uh, having to you were, use the word translate. We're like, Oh, that's basically what we do every day at sports innovation lab. So good luck there at Facebook. Um, <laughs> uh, it's interesting. You know, I've had to learn a lot on the, on the, on the tech side, obviously coming from the sports industry and, uh, um, and there's just so much going on. I want to lean into that. Um, so you talked a little bit about Facebook. Um, again, how do you activate these 2.6 billion um, users in the right way? Because you, you have a platform that has an opportunity that when we look at the traditional broadcast, that linear feed, in our opinion, again, isn't as engaging as what what Facebook and a lot of other platforms are doing. I'm curious, again, related to fluid fandom or just future fandom in your eyes, what are the different features that, again, you may be looking for or you believe are the future of sport? And I'll throw a few out there. Again, user-generated content that can't be overestimated. What we see letting fans lean in um, to learn statistics or learn more about that sport, that actually creates more avid fandom. We see fans that you know want to share or have watch parties. I mean, again, linear broadcast can't do. If you had a wish list, I guess I'm trying to get to. What are the different capabilities that you believe a platform, maybe yours, maybe any platform, should be thinking about in terms of engaging that next generation fan? Yeah, I think um, 
It's a good question because you, you gave most of the answers in the question, which is always a good starting point. I think the first thing is that you've got to be free. I think you've got to be accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to sound really basic in the context of all these sort of sports technology issues. But I think you have to remember the funnel. You have to think what makes a fan a fan? What brings somebody in? You know, we talked recently with the team at Manchester City and they were talking a lot about how they focus on six to 13 year olds and try and bring them into the funnel as a fan because you know that at least gives you a start you know and fluid fandom as as you've pointed out means that you can't guarantee that fan stays with you that fan will look at lots of different things but you have to try and open up the funnel and i think the monetization has to be a second step Mm -hmm. so as a result i think whatever you do as a platform you start with that fundamental economic principle of bringing people in through the door and then you can sell them things later. But let's do that at the right pace in the right way. And when we talk about the right sort of content for Facebook, the right sort of product for Facebook, I think you look at about it in three ways. You know, fundamentally, what's going to make a person's experience of the platform feel rewarding? That has to be the number one thing. Because if they're not rewarded, they're not going to stay, they're not going to come back and taste more. And, and the fact that we've got so many people um, touching Facebook in so many different ways, um, whether that be Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, whatever, th- that's a great um, honor. We, we have to try and live up to that and give them something positive that means they want to, to stay more, to try more. Then I think you look at you know, the type of content that works clearly for Facebook economically, but also for the publisher economically, because you want the publisher to be able to build their business by using the Facebook tools. User-generated content is a great example, right? Because you know it works. You know that authenticity is really important. Um, and I think particularly when you talk about athletes and user-generated content. You know, athletes are the untapped power behind the sports industry. And when you look at the publishing um, industry of sport, it's about a league publishing a game or about a club publishing a game. Whereas as a fan, what you really want to see is what's an athlete gone through. You know, what, what is their experience? And, and that's why I love things like Greenfly, where you've got this huge digital um, library behind a match that allows a player to go in, select images, select stories, and effectively give you his version of a game, but do it through video, do it through relevant stills, um, because it becomes his story, his view of what he's just been through because everyone's view of a match can be different and, and it depends on your history, your perspective, what you're sat, you know, all those things, your, your view is different. So that user-generated content element and athletes as publishers, I think is really important. I think the interactivity that you talked about and the ability to go deeper into data is also really important because I think that's the reality of when you see people consume content these days, it's not really, a, a one screen experience, you know, and, and even if we can build the things in together, then it's not just looking at video, receiving that video and being a passive receptacle of that video. You want to know more and you want to have it in your control as to what you know. If you see a player do something, you'll think, hang on, did he do that against that person? Did she go there? Did she do that? You know, and, and you want to be answering those own questions in your head. Um, So I love the idea that you can get more information through wearable devices, that you can't just think if a cyclist is struggling going up a mountain, has he he just got tired? 
but then you can think to a different level. What's his heart rate? What's his glucose rate? And, and actually understand that story better. So, you know, all, all those things for me are the directions of travel. But fundamentally, it's, you know, what can give a fan a better experience? And then you look at that and then you say, okay, what does that then mean for the publisher? What does that mean for someone like Facebook as a platform? Great answer. We call that immersive media. So anything that's social, accessible, interactive, or sort of the three pillars. Again, if you're thinking about immersing that fan, giving them agency is, I think all the examples you've illuminated, that really is the future of sport in terms of empowering fans to do more. I'm curious, you talked about a few athlete examples. How have athletes during, especially during COVID, uh, we've seen a lot here in the U.S. around, you know, athlete is the voice. I mean, athletes are speaking up and using the platform, but how are they, athletes specifically using Facebook or Instagram to interact with fans during this time? What are the features you see them you know, leaning into, take a step back and I want to, I want to dive into that, if you will. Oh, look, I think, you know, the, the best content, you, you could take examples from anywhere in the world, right? And, and one of the problems of Facebook is you ask a question like that and I think, okay, hang on, where do I start? Because there's so many good stories out there. Yeah. You know, I think you look at stuff like the uh, Instagram live that Rafa Nadal did with Federer and then Andy Murray joins in the conversation um, after being in the comments to start with, and then he comes in as well. And you love that authenticity of, of for the first time, athletes with times on their hands maybe missing each other, you know, and, and the conversation was great, and it, and it genuinely felt like fans talking about sport because they're fans too, and, and, and that was great because you, you build up that sense of they're just like us. Um, then you'd look at people just being entertaining. You know, there's a, a soccer player in England called James Milner who... Uh, had a sort of um, fake character based on him called Boring James Milner because he was always seen as such a boring character. Whereas the reality is he's completely different. He's like really sort of um, an oddball character, very amusing, really nice guy. And he created a whole series of boring experiences that he'd been through, like cutting his grass with nail scissors and building stacks of cards and, and he sort of built on his sort of boring personality to create good entertaining content. So you've got a load of entertainment out there, but then you've also got information. You know, you look at what Steph Curry did with Dr. Fauci um, and uh, he used the Instagram stories question sticker to bring in questions for Dr. Fauci. Or you look at Ronaldo who so who shared the um, WHO safety tips, you know, and he's got 210 million followers on Instagram. So something like that's really powerful. And, and then I think you also look at the fundraising. You know, if you look at someone like Pogba or Marcus Rashford, you know, they raised significant amount of money for their charities that they cared about using those Facebook tools. So, you know, again, a lot of different answers from a lot of different parts of the world. But it's really nice when you see the tools being used and then you know that you've got something that is valuable. Um, and Facebook as a company changes all the time and the tools change all the time. So it's a permanent state of education. But I, I love it when you can look at stories like that and you think actually you're part of, in a very small way, you're part of something that's making a difference. Yeah, you know, no, I agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, uh, you know, obviously being a four-time Olympian myself and not having the same platforms when I was competing as athletes do now, we see a massive trend in this athlete-driven media, whether it's the, the wearables or simply just engaging with the platform you know, of Facebook or Instagram and the tools that you, that you guys are creating. 
to give that athlete a voice to further engage with fans. I love, I love all those examples and the fact that, yeah, you are, you're not playing a small part. You're playing a large part because without a platform, you don't, you've always had a voice, but now you actually have it. You can put it somewhere that people can see it. I mean, there's, that is the leveling of playing field. Athletes have much bigger voice because of, of platforms like yours. So kudos to that. What about Peter shifting then on the business side? Obviously, in the time of COVID, absence of sports, media rights, sponsorship deals, they're all in a state of uncertainty. Everyone's trying to figure out what's going up. How do we make up for lost revenue? Do you have any advice in terms of maybe what you've given giving your partners or tips of how do you continue to engage replaying classic games, using your platform for your partners in this very you know, uncertain time? Yeah, I think um, it, it certainly is worrying, you know, and, and I think what, one of the things that we've said as a group is go out and listen to your partners, go out and listen to what their concerns are, and then let's share best practices, share stories from the rest of the world about people who are doing it well. Because first of all, you've got the revenue hits, you know, and the revenue hits are clearly not short term, they're long term. You look at the broadcasting business and you look at the pace of change that was happening in the broadcast business, that clearly just accelerates. By, by what's just happened. And that's not good for sport because uncertainty is fundamentally not good. And uncertainty on your future broadcast rights revenue, I think is something that goes to the heart of most of the sports industry. So, you know, that's clearly a worry. Then you look at the revenue streams that you rely on maybe more locally, you know, the ticketing, the merchandise, the premium fan experiences, you know, all those have gone away. And that's a huge hole in the industry, which then means that people start worrying about their jobs and people worrying about their jobs don't make the best decisions. So I think, you know, we're, we're clearly very aware of some of the problems that the industry faces at the moment. So, so how do you solve it? It's clearly not an easy answer, but I think you have to listen, you have to be innovative, um, and you have to try and think long-term if you can. You know, I, I love things like NASCAR, um, obviously you normally sell a huge amount of merchandise on, on their, at their venues. So they used Instagram shops. You know, for a while the live telecast with, with no fans on ground was there. They were selling merchandise using the shops um, service, which was great. Um, and, and I think, you know, things like that are sort of small steps in the right direction. But fundamentally, you don't want to break that connection between the fan and the team. And the, and the danger of this longer period with no fan being able to touch and feel the team, have that uh, emotional experience of, of being in the stadium, I think is quite dangerous. You know, people talk about it being dangerous for OTT or pay TV, saying, oh, you know, you, you don't pay for it for a while. Um, you might not come back as a subscriber on the other end. And that clearly is a danger. I think what worries me as much, though, is, you know, you're not following your, your team as much. There's no news. There's no 24-7 engagement with the, with the team that you care about. And, and that has a damage as well. And, and hopefully we all come out of it and, and it's all great. But I think one of the things we've really stressed to organizations is build up that multiple times a day contact that you have with your fan in normal times, because that, that's what really matters. Great answer. We're all trying to figure it out together. I'm an optimist that it will come out of this, hopefully stronger. We'll make the right investments. We'll think about, you know, how do we, the world wants sports. They need it in, in a way. And we're all going to have to weather it together. I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned NASCAR. Today I read actually uh, that you guys partnered with NASCAR on a venue app. 
which uh, enhances the live viewing experience. I think the quote was 94% of fans per year data have a smartphone in their hands while they're watching live sports. Do you want to talk about that partnership or all or why you're, you're moving in, in that direction? I'd love to talk about it, but I have to give like a big asterisk health warning in that we, we love it. We really like it, but it's just a trial, right? So Got we're it. not rolling it out necessarily everywhere, but, but hopefully it, it wins and, and we have to keep trying things, right? And I think that's one of the things I love about Facebook is there's multiple trials happening at any time, anywhere in the world. Um, because fundamentally it's a company of engineers and, and there's yeah. permanently that ability to build things. So the idea it's part of it, it's part, hold on, but that's really important because it's part of the ethos of innovation is you got to try, you got to invest. Sometimes again, COVID budgets are gone, but to, to me, this is the time to do that. And you guys are clearly leading the way, um, uh, in, in trialing things while, while you can. As an Englishman, it's always sort of difficult to really praise the company you work for. It just doesn't feel <laughs> um, but, um But genuinely, you know, one of the things about Facebook that you, you got us saying this is great, you know, is that Mark Zuckerberg's really public and open and he's permanently talking to everybody on, on webcasts and, and chatting with people. And one of the things he's really stressed is keep um, spending on innovation, keep spending on engineers, keep bringing the best talent in. And, and I love that about the company. I think it's a, it's a fundamentally impressive attitude to take in, in what are clearly difficult economic times. Um, so the venue app, you know, is built on, on what you just talked about, really. You know, we all watch sport now with mobile phones in our hands. And I often, you know, spend my life trying to take it off my kids as they watch sport and say, just watch the pictures. And then I'm as bad as they are. Um, so the reality is that, you know, you are taking in other sources of information about the game. And the idea is let's make those entertaining and relevant. Let's get voices that you want to hear from telling about how they're seeing important moments in the game. So you've got a second screen experience where you're chatting, but, but it's also got influencers in there that are useful voices. And so it's a trial, you know, and we'll see how it goes with NASCAR. Um, it's brilliant that they lent into it, you know, and um, uh, the team out of New York that works with them, led by Rob Shaw, are, are big fans of, what they've been doing and how innovative they've been in terms of trying to build up that connection with audience, you know, and, and people talk a lot about the NBA who clearly stand out in terms of the way they've seen this long-term, but all credit to NASCAR and the way they've lent into this and, and clearly looking to try and reinvent a fan experience when they can't get fans in the stadium. Yeah, no, good luck on that. Um, I went on, we have, if you, if listeners, if you go on to app.sportsilab.com, um, I was prepping for this interview and, and it popped, it was number two behind Genius Sports had a big announcement too. But uh, with that being said, Peter, you probably get like inundated uh, with, again, questions around what's Facebook's future uh, strategy around, you know, moving into sports and, you know, ever since, I think some early um, traction, the industry has been looking to you, Amazon, others to say, hey, if, if, if we're going digital, what's gonna happen with these, these groups that have big budgets? And you may not be allowed to speak about your, your global strategy, but I'm curious more around, as you move further into sports, given your background as CEO of Eurosport, what do you look for in a media deal? And how are you actually able to gauge success of that deal down the line? And how might that be different obviously with a platform like Facebook versus a traditional broadcasters. Oh, it used to be so much easier, right? You know, as, as, a, as a CEO of a broadcaster, you, you're looking for 
a very limited amount of things and, and you value your deal on a very limited amount of things. You know, but there is a value to brand and how it affects your brand. But fundamentally, it's about advertising income and sponsorship income. And you can put numbers against those and you can run through a model and then you realize it adds up to 100 and then you bid 110 because you thought somebody else was going to bid 109. But you're in the game of spreadsheets and Excel formulas and, and you know basically how you value content. I think Facebook is very different in the where we look for value here is in building experiences and building sustainable experiences and, and genuinely making it a positive experience for a fan. So as a result, you know, we've definitely done some trials around premium live sport. We've definitely done trials about uh, perhaps slightly smaller sports, um, but no less important to their fan base. And, and that's, I think, for me about look, where do we build something that's sustainable? When the industry talk about Amazon or Google or Facebook coming in, it always worries me, you know, first of all, that we're all grouped together as being similar businesses where there's clearly differences. But I think it stems from something that I've long complained about in the industry, whether I was on the agency side or whether I was on the broadcaster side, which is expecting a sort of check to fall down from the clouds and that, you know, you'd get three more years of TV money and that would fundamentally underwrite your business. But you didn't necessarily understand what were the economics behind that number? Why, why was it valued at X and not at Y? And I think a lot of leagues have traditionally sort of felt, okay, that number will keep going up incrementally and it will be 10% a year or 20% a year. And we can just rely on that. Whereas I think the Facebook answer is more complicated and more difficult, but in the end, it's probably more sustainable, which is we want you to use our tools to build something that is sustainable for you. And that's a difficult message sometimes in that a, when we've done the sort of trials where we have paid for content, the broadcaster attitude is we've bought your content, we'll make it come back in three years' time, basically. And we'll, we'll talk on a daily basis about, you know, kickoff times, things like that. But, but essentially, it's sort of a, it's ours now. Whereas the Facebook way is clearly to say, look, you're still the publisher. We want this on your Facebook page. We want this on your Instagram page. We want you to build messenger bots that support this. We want you to be active on our platforms and build a business. And therefore, the value of a media deal is actually about behavior change mm. and actually about educating people in best practices and helping to build something that sustains themselves. So you're really saying moving away from a transactional model, again, where the industry, and we've said this for years, has been very, hasn't innovated in some regards because of these increases of value which is the key pillar of a lot of these leagues globally it's it's hey we can expect x to go up by x percent and um and what you're saying is now the onus is more on them to actually build out with your platform in partnership a way to engage the fluid fan which are all the things we talked about in this podcast and that's a massive Massive cultural change, I think, internally. I mean, again, you're probably having these conversations and you lived it. How do you have that conversation? How do you educate the market? How do you let the industry understand that, yeah, we've got a war chest, but we're only going to use it if it makes sense on both sides of the equation? Yeah, that's a, that's a daily conversation. But I, I think also, you know, worth stressing that I still think the broadcast industry has a massive role to play, right? It's mm -hmm. not going away. And even when you talk about the OTT business, 
I think in many markets, broadcasters are the OTT business. Um, and, and you look at what ESPN Plus is trying to do here, and, and I sort of take it back to what we were able to do with Eurosport. And there was a fundamental difference. Again, you know, people have different experiences in different markets. What Eurosport said to their affiliates is that all our content will also be on OTT. You know, what ESPN Plus or NBC do here is very different because they clearly have obligations to their affiliates that a certain amount is exclusive. And that means that if I'm watching the Premier League on NBC as, a, as, a, as an example, you know, I, I have the NBC sort of plus service where you get four or five Premier League games out of the 10. And clearly I want the 10, right? So it's fundamentally frustrating that I can only touch these five here and I have to go to the broadcast to go and get the other ones. You know, that's not where Eurosport is or where Sky Sports is in the UK. You know, they can put their premium content on their OTT services now um, and not take it off their, their main channels. So people are going at different paces, but I still see broadcast and OTT as being linked going forward mm -hmm. and the broadcasters with a really important role to play in that journey. Yep, no, that's a good answer. They're both important for different reasons, but linking the two, um, obviously, go hand in hand. As a final question, as we wrap this up, before we get into my favorite ending segment, four questions with number four, I'd like to know what Facebook is doing to help advance the industry given COVID. Obviously, everything's up and you guys are a leader in the space and just in general, a very visible company. And by the way, I have to admit, because we're talking Facebook, I, was, I went to school with Mark Zuckerberg and I was, I overlapped with him and I didn't join the Facebook at Harvard because it was a dating app at the time. And I was like, that's stupid. I'm not a, <laughs> and I'm like, man, I should have asked him for a job. Right. Right. You know, right out of the gate. <laughs> I'd have been set. I would have been retired, you know, to your point. Oh, but um, then they'd have the sports expert and I'd never have got to the U S uh, so I'm yeah. glad you did. <laughs> no, no, no. So in all seriousness, no, I, I look back and see excuse me, where the platform has gone and it's really interesting. So I'm just curious again, Global leader leaning into innovation. How are you thinking about this time during COVID? Are you doing anything differently outside of, again, the tech investment? I'm thinking more of the social impact. You know, women's sports are more impacted coming out of this, in my opinion, or physical literacy, you know, PE is being cut and people are turning to like, how do we work out at home? Like, what are the platforms for that? What are the maybe different on the content side? Is there anything you're doing or thinking about? Again, open-ended question, just uh, like how you're dealing with this and, and what are you trying to, what is Facebook thinking about um, in terms of, of responding to the, the situation we're in? Yeah, I mean, I think the company as a whole has, has made an amazing response, right? You know, it, it made 20 million in donations early on in terms of to the relief efforts from the UN. It's offered about $100 million in grants to small businesses. It's wow. donated lots of um, uh, sort of gloves and, and masks and so on. Um, so all, all those sort of things have been done. And I think, you know, when you translate that through to the sports industry, we have to think about it in similar terms, in terms of, you know, how do you help people to find solutions? And, and that might be encouraging them to use elements of our platform to set up Facebook shops, to try and find ways that generate other revenue streams for them. And, you know, that's conversations that are happening on a partner by partner basis. I think with the fitness industry in particular, we've really lent in, you know, and, and great to see so many fitness instructors 
now doing those activities sort of on the platform, particularly when they can use the portal device or, or find other ways of connecting with their audience via Facebook and Instagram. So th there's lots of, again, trials and, and advice out there to try and help grow people's businesses. And, and a lot of it has got to be just about listening to what they need and saying, okay, can we help on that journey? And I think one of the great things about the company is it leans in when it sees a problem, it leans in and it tries to help find a solution. And, and that's one of the best things about being here. Awesome. Well, sounds like you've enjoyed the last couple of years at Facebook, Peter. Thank you so much for sharing your insights on sports, media, entertainment, uh, technology, the, your perspective on the fluid fan and, and how we all should adjust. Before I let you go, though, I always do a segment called Four Questions with Number Four. It's my way of asking your specific views on innovation and how it relates to where you're at in your career and, and within Facebook even. Um, and again, number four was my number. So we're going to kick it off, Peter. What does innovation mean to you? It means trying to stop getting old. I love it. Staying young, doing things differently. All right, who is the most innovative person in our industry? Keep that broad, because you could go tech or sports. I just say R, you could pick. <laughs> um, I, I run the risk of upsetting people. So um, I don't know, different people in different countries. Someone like uh, Nuria Tare at Manchester City Group in the way that she's sort of reinvented her business. Creatively, someone like Andy Gall at Red Bull or Lawrence Duffy at uh, Aurora. Love it. I love specific shout outs. People rarely do that, but we're, we'll make sure they hear this. So you get, you know, a nice Christmas card or holiday card this year. <laughs> All right. Who is the most innovative company in sports technology? Big fans of Greenfly here. Uh, probably WSC out of Israel for what they're doing with sort of AI and, and how that translates into sports video. Yeah, no, I'm following Israel as a hub. Um, but yeah, WSC is really good. If, if listeners haven't Google them or look them up on our app. Go do that. They're interesting. All right. Finally, Peter, who is the most innovative league, team, or federation? Knowing you have deals with some, you can, you know, play the nice card and name one of them, or you can take a step back and, and just say, here's, here's a group that I watch every day for what they're doing. I'll play the nice card. But, um, seeing as you offered me the option, um, I'll, I'll go with uh, La Liga, the Spanish Soccer League, who put three years of their games live exclusively on Facebook in India because they thought India is the key market. How do we go free to air? How do we build up a fan base? Their numbers have been tremendous, you know, and as a result, their foundation in India is now made. Amazing. Peter Hutton, Facebook Director of Sports Partnerships. You are someone that obviously has an amazing amount of experience globally across sports, across a period of time in which we've seen a lot of technological change. And now you're obviously uh, at the, the helm of Facebook sports. I wish you all the luck in, in where you head. You Hopefully you get named sports executive of the year again. I know that's something uh, <laughs> you've had in the past and in your capacity now as a, as a techie, not just a sports guy, really leaning into to the tech side, um, which as you said before, can really provide that platform and affect change on a, on a global level. So thank you so much for being on our show. I really, really uh, valued our conversation and, and appreciate your time. Angela, it's great to be asked. You know, I've followed the uh, fortunes of Fluid Fan for a long time um, and it's now nice to be close enough to be part of it.
Thank you again to my guest, Peter Hutton, the director of sports partnerships at Facebook. It was, uh, it was great to hear how you and Facebook are helping your clients better position themselves throughout the pandemic. And of course, my favorite, I think, topic of today's conversation was how you were helping athletes specifically through Facebook, through Instagram, to utilize your platforms um, to engage their fans and create new and engaging content. I just love the fact that athletes have a voice. They can go direct to consumer now. They can stand up for what they think is right. Again, we're living in a time where the whole ecosystem of sports is, is reinventing itself. We're living in a time where athletes absolutely as brands are having more influence. The power is shifting from the leagues and the teams into the hands of the athletes. And athletes, just as importantly, are standing up for causes that are close to home. We're living in a time where Black Lives Matter here in the U.S. is, is a topic of conversation and, and certainly one that I uh, support and that we need to have more opportunities for athletes to voice their concerns. And so uh, Facebook, Instagram are certainly providing that platform for these types of conversations and, and for us as, a, 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 as an industry, but broadly as a society to take a step back and see what can we do uh, to be better humans. And so I love, again, the power of Facebook, the power of these platforms to use sport again as that vehicle for social justice, for social change. And, um, and the athletes, again, couldn't do this. I couldn't have this same voice when I was playing because these, these platforms weren't, uh, didn't exist or weren't as um, broadly used. So I want to thank my producer once again, Jack Barlow, as well as the rest of the Sports Innovation Lab team. Uh, we work our butts off every single day to help our clients stay ahead and navigate this difficult time, this difficult market. We, of course, are, are providing some of our content to you, the listener. I hope you enjoy it. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you loved it, subscribe to our show on iTunes, leave us a review, follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn at Sports iLab, and let us know what guests you want to hear from moving forward. So until next time, I'm Angela Ruggiero. Thanks for listening and have a great day.